This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hello, I'm Marissa. And we're going to talk about Our Friends from Frolix 8 by Philip K. Dick, a 1970 novel. Um, apparently the only one he produced uh, in the year 1968. Hmm. Um, and it was late. Uh, and I think maybe he is having a lot of life issues. <laughs> <laughs> if this book is anything to go by. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He he definitely was having personal drama by by any standard. Um, it, was a, it was a good year for books released in 68. Um, not a good year for books produced in 68, I guess. Um, uh, I want to ask your guys' opinion of this book. Where would you rate it? Top half, bottom half, top quarter, bottom quarter, center, center? I'm going to go with bottom quarter, probably. Ooh. Yeah, this this feels like this should have come. This feels like um, very much like pre simulacra sort of stuff. Mm. Well, I mean, remember we discussed, and listeners, you can listen to that conversation. How the simulacra almost felt like he was tying off a lot of his earlier books and killing off characters and. And was that the simulacra? Was that the simulacra? Or am I, or am, no, Maze of Death. Correction. My maze sorry. of Death. Maze of Death. Okay, so this feels like a Maze of My apologies. Let me start. Think of, this feels like a ma- pre-Maze of Death book in that in the Maze of Death, he was killing off characters. He was kind of tying off his earlier stuff. He was trying to basically wash himself of a lot of the earlier things he had done by working through that weird simulated uh, world that the characters are all trapped in endlessly together forever and ever. This book feels like it's written before that, before he's trying to get that out of the system. Because we have a lot of this – I mean they're kind of exaggerated, but we have a lot of the similar things that we have in those early books. We have a we have a uh, narrator protagonist who's not really uh, happy with his wife. He, he leaves the wife for another woman. We have another world dictator. Another girl. Another another yeah, girl. He, leaves, he has woman for a girl. Yeah, he, woman for a girl. We have, a, we have we have another overweening uh, Earth dictator. This this one's probably the nastiest and most uh, most vindictive. Lot. He's a real Trump, if you to uh, to, to go <laughs> policy. No, seriously, he's he's got like he's 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 personally vindictive. He's obsessed with only with power. It's um. It, he he he's a real nasty piece of work. We have we have aliens. We have we don't really have any strange cosmologies. We have weird rules involving drugs. We have prohibition on the one hand, but everyone else is ta- but everyone's taking every other kind of drug instead. It's it's a lot of the things that we we've seen before a maze of death and before he's kind of uh, been sick of that. So when did he? Yeah. So, so, so it feels like this is almost like a throwback compared to the previous novel we did. Which is not to say it's not bad. It's not as good as some of the other stuff we've had. And the ending kind of just Yeah, I don't think happened. I hate it. I just... Yeah. I got to tell you guys. Okay. I really like this book. <laughs> I really like this book. Okay. <laughs> Why do you really like this book, Jess? Well, uh, I, I didn't like it at first. Um, 
I I thought, yeah, this is sort of stuff we've seen before. Um, but it has a. Uh, I love the ending. I really love the ending. Yeah, I like the ending is uh, great. There's a lot of. Um, I mean, if this was a lost Philip K. Dick book and they weren't sure if it was Philip K. Dick book or not, you know, like it would be such a masterful copy of so many of the of his themes. Mm-hmm. That I would say, uh, I don't care if Philip K. Dick wrote it or not. It's a Philip K. Dick book. Mm-hmm. I'm, I know he did write it, but I'm just saying, like, I love the fact that the main character is a tire regroover. Um, oh, okay, okay. There, there are some details to love. It's like tire regrooving. That's a very strange and uh, illegal and immoral uh, activity. Right. But a very kind of very Philip K. Dick sort of. Uh, Thing. I mean, consider, consider the uh, com- the kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, the manufacture of fake historical artifacts way yeah. back in uh, the Man in the High Castle. It's, uh, uh, that's slightly less immoral. That's slightly less immoral, especially since they're trying to do it to uh, screw over uh, their occupiers. But it's a, yeah. it's the same sort of Urzat's carving of reality. But in this case, yeah, if you drive on those tires, you just might very well die. The other reason I think it's, uh, you know, other than, you know, all the, the fun themes, um, there's two two other reasons, I guess. One one is um, it's so emotional. Um, and, like, the scenes where he does the emotional scenes, he, he can do that really well. I've seen him do it in other books. I, I find this book to be, like, more emotionally interesting uh, than... Uh, Man in the High Castle. Maybe not as good as Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep for for poignancy, right? Mm -hmm. But it's pretty darn poignant. um, And it's done very skillfully. I guess because he's just so good at feeling things, right? And feeling other people's emotions. The the main character is such a loser um, that, you know, he... He feels good when a 16-year-old compliments him. Mm. (laughs) He's a sad Oh, and by the way, it's not quite as uh, immoral in Canada. Uh, The age of consent is 14 here, not 16. Oh, really? Or, no, what is it? I don't don't even know the American one. But, yeah, it's It it, it depends. So it's not statutory rape here. It's still frowned upon, obviously. But um, he's not quite as immoral. Um, And, of course, that's the other thing is, I think this is one of his most personal books. Um, I think mostly this is a true story. Um, other than, you know, the alien invasion of the Earth, uh, <laughs> I think pretty much everything in this book happened. Yeah, I got that too. It's interesting I, as well that he gave. It happened. It's like, oh my God, you poor man and your poor family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind it's- of funny that he literally gave the his wife... His wife's name as well, his ex-wife's name. <laughs> like, I couldn't. I, I thought. I thought you would love that. <laughs> like, Subtle. And she's, you know, she's barely in the book. As is the son. You know, they they yeah. sort of disappear out of the out of the novel. They're literally yeah. abandoned, like by the writer and the the character. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's pretty. Um, and uh, I mean, the details of the world. Yeah, they're not as crisp and wonderful as in some other books. Uh-huh. And there isn't, like, I think even he says in the um, uh, in the Philip K. Dick fans page, he says, you know, none of my themes of what is reality um, happening here. Yeah, I think I missed that, and I missed the the atmosphere and 
and the details. It, it, it's a very uh, quotidian sort of existence. I mean, for all that we have, Provoni coming back with a 90-ton uh, alien it's absorbing around the spaceship and it being set in the future, it feels a very uh, domestic book in very many ways. And tying into that whole, he's, he's borrowing from his uh, reality and his real life. Um, I, I, I wanted a little more weird. I wanted a little more weirdness. I mean, I mean, provoking the alien debating philosophy is yeah. kind of weird and interesting. It's like, okay, that this okay, this okay. Bill K. Dick is enjoying writing the uh, writing this uh, late night bull session between a uh, a guy and the alien surrounding him on the spaceship. Okay, I could have used a little more of that. Mm-hmm. So, um, luckily, uh, on the Philip K. Dick fans website, there's a uh, the first part of the outline, mm-hmm. um, and it follows it at least to the point where uh, it cuts off. Um, you have to read uh, PKDS issue 19 for a continuation. But I, I just since we don't usually give a plot summary, I thought I'd give one because most people probably won't read this book. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, apparently, it was going to be our friends from Frolics Nine. And then it was uh, the five struck out here. So now it's friends from Frolics eight. I don't know <laughs> how he decided on which of these. And of course, the the numeral is not spelled out, right? Which is uh, sort of another indication that this is some planet or something, um, rather than I don't know a dimension. I I would guess because um, that's usually how you see it in in a, a science text. Mm. Anyways, we never go to Frolics eight and Frolics. Uh-huh. I gotta think that it's it's it could be pronounced Frolix, which is probably his idea, right? That we, we would pronounce it Frolix. Sounds maybe a little like Prolix or something, but um, it's frolicking, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the theme: Earth is invaded by aliens, whom gr- the great majority of people welcome. Um, by the way. Well, uh, it, isn't that the plot for Three Body Problem? Yeah, well, well, the Three Body Problem. Yeah, the, uh, the 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 Chinese scientist basically signals aliens to you might you might as well come and take us over because things are miserable here, sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Paul, are you ready for the alien invasion yet? <laughs> um, well, I would have said yeah. I, I, I would have said yes on Friday. Saturday, Saturday, yesterday was a little more reassuring politically. Oh, you're you're warming up to the climate. I got you. no, 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 no just just that people are, people's uh, people have awakened, as it were. They've taken so, they've taken the blue pill. <laughs> it said, yeah, that's the good news. Um, it says the locus of action is Earth in 2190. We get a lot of uh, uh, the action on Earth, but we also get um, a little bit on the spaceship on its way back to Earth. Um, uh, and then the situation. Within the last century, two types of human beings have arisen as sport mutations. Uh, oh, uh, as sport mutations desired and preserved until by the 2085, they filled the top levels of business organizations. And in the planet-wide federal government, all persons who pass the civil service tests must be either a new man or an unusual. The new men possess magnified cerebral cortexes. The so-called nodes of Rogers, their IQ is twice that of a brilliant old man, as the unevolved are called. 
Most people are old men, so this makes the new men an elite, along with the unusuals. The unusuals are mutants who have freak abilities, i.e. the familiar psionic gifts, having to do with reading minds, knowing the future, moving objects at a distance, etc. They too can pass civil service tests and obtain G ratings, and hence rule along with the new men. Neither group likes the other very much. In particular, the new men look down on the unusuals as being merely odd. The highest official on earth is the council chairman of the Extraordinary Committee for Public Safety. Coming to you soon, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He too must hold a civil service rating. This office over the years has passed back and forth between new men and unusuals, uh, Democrats and Republicans. Um, At this moment, the council chairman is an unusual named Willis Graham. In addition, uh, isn't he also a, a new man? No, no, no. You're, you're thinking of Provoni. Provoni is both oh, a new Provoni's man and a neutral. In addition, one further group exists, an illegal organization of old men, calling themselves not old men, but the undermen. The Untermenschen, right? Mm-hmm. So loves that. Yep. There is no way they can rule legally, but at least they can fight. Uh, there's no way they can get their candidate elected, but mm-hmm. <laughs> at least they can protest. Uh, but up to now, they have done nothing but print tracks and hang up lurid posters in the dead of night their paralysis is understandable they are waiting for their hope their savior led by the pro tem spokesman eric Corden, who is in prison they are standing firm until the day that thor's provoni returns from the distant system which he is visiting provoni will come back and help the undermen say but as they wait the police the pss public security service get them one by one the police have successfully infiltrated the ranks of the undermen and are destroying them from within. Uh, that actually, I don't think, is exactly what happens. No, it's not. No, that's that last bit there. Other than that, it's it's pretty good. And then it says uh, plot. The novel opens in on Bobby and his father, Nick Appleton. We never see Bobby again. Uh, along, well, if we do, it's like one scene, right? Um, Along with the, cro- uh, the crowded sl- sidewalk, should be slidewalk actually, um, at a snail space. They are making or trying to make their way to the Federal Bureau, Bureau of Personnel Standards, where Bobby, who is 12, will try to score highly enough on his first civil service test to give the Appleton family some hope for the future, since Nick himself has never been able to obtain even a G1 rating, the lowest there is. So I. From that very first scene, I thought this is a true story. It's like Philip K. Dick having to take his kid to be tested for some weird thing that he doesn't want to take the test for. Mm. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I don't know if any of his family actually has autism, but Jesus Christ, he's obsessed with it. Yeah. Um, it, it could be him, too, because um, the thing about being Philip K. Dick is – he literally has no skills, right? He, he he can make jewelry if his wife, you know, shows him how. Um, the only skill he has is writing. That's his only skill. Mm-hmm. And so he's a super genius. If you if you think about what he knows, about what he's concerned with, about how he writes, and how he's thinking, he's like a brilliant genius. This guy, and he's completely unemployable. Right. The only job that he found that can make him any money is writing. And it's a terrible job, just like uh, tire regrooving. You know, people look down <laughs> on him. 
They think he's, you know, oh, you write that drac, right? Um, you do that, that's immoral somehow. Um, so whether it's, you know, uh, all, if all the characters are him uh, or not, I don't think is sort of the question. It just feels so true. Um, that's one of the things I really liked about it. And I went back and reread the beginning and um, it's full of, full of pathos. Um, when the kid asks for, he says, can I have a, a knife <laughs> to help me have confidence during the, 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 the test? Right. And then <laughs> we get to see sort of the people who are going to test him say, yeah, we're going to flunk him. Yeah. Right? He scored really well. He's going to do okay. And, he, and then we get a perspective from the new man saying, you know, here's my dignity. Um, it's okay that we flunk him, right? There's there's a lot of um, – Yeah, it was a very interesting point of view shift there. This show, very, show, show, show them, like, oh, yeah, we're going to flunk him, totally flunk him. Rather than it, – it, 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 it's a case of tell not sh- – it's a case of almost show not tell, like we don't get the results later, but we get, I mean, he could have cut that out and then just had him fail. And then we would wonder why, but here we, he front loads that, Oh yeah, he's totally going to, he, he might be good, but yeah, we're totally going to fail him. I'm sorry. I didn't drop that. I just, I was, no, no. I, and uh, you know, the, the world is so, because it, it isn't dealing with, you know, what is real as often he does. The world is just straight up just a weird dystopia. Uh-huh. Um, and given, you know, I was listening to this uh, the same day as uh, you get that fascist sounding or I guess nationalist sounding speech um, from the president-elect and standing there looking like a um, Mussolini with a, you know, I don't know, a grimace on his face <laughs> like he's a serious guy now. It's like my dad, my dad never thought I could amount to anything. <laughs> now I showed him. I'm going to show everyone. It's like, okay, got yeah. it. This is kind of uh, why I, I like the book is it's so timely. And then we get that line fairly early on. And I tweeted you guys um, where it just says, God, God is dead. We found his corpse floating outside of Alpha Centauri in 2019. Sure, he was capable of creating worlds, but <laughs> we don't know that he was really God. Yeah, that's one of those lines that's just like thrown in that makes your brain just kind of like, oh, like what? I'd love to hear more about that story. <laughs> it, it gets mentioned. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, just the carcass of God floating in space yeah. is just such an amazing what, image. It? Which is very much, uh, I mean, I mean, Provoni mentions it later. That him and the alien talk about it, but it kind of reminds me of the novels of James Moreau. Have either of you read him? No. Um, he he writes a lot of theologically uh, infused uh, science fiction and fantasy, and one of his novels does have the dead body of God floating in the Arctic and angels. That's towing Jehovah. That's towing Jehovah. Yep, that's the one. Right. So, yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. So. So when when I saw that, it's like like that's maybe this is where James Earl yeah. got the idea. Okay. Well, uh, where did Dick get the idea is from Nietzsche, right? Right. God <laughs> is like, dead. God is dead. Uh, you know, guy running through the streets saying, "God is dead. God is dead." Um, you know, morality is over. Right? Is the idea? Um, we have to stand our own two feet. We have to make our own. We have to be responsible for ourselves. Um, 
but literally having the carbs, right? Yeah. It's mm. just so <laughs> good. But then I love, he does that Philip K. Dick move. Um, uh, I'm going to read the quote here. God is dead, Nick said. They found his carcass in 20, 2019, floating out in space near Alpha. They found the remains of an organism advanced several thousand times over what we are, Charlie said. And it evidently could create habitable worlds and populate them with living organisms and derive from itself. But that doesn't prove it was God. <laughs> Gary says, I think it was God. I think it was God. Um, it's, I love the, it's like, well, we don't have his wallet, right? Yeah. We can't <laughs> open up his wallet and say, I be God. But then we get God at the end, right? Um, in the form of a little statuette um, that, that the, ma- the new man who's reverting into, no, not reverting, I don't know, degenerating into a state of, De-evolved I, I, is the way I yeah, understood the just, novel. There, he says we can't call them kids, right, or the kiddies anymore. Uh, but the irony of the new, you know, the the brilliant men uh, becoming the stupidest men. Oh no, they're not stupid; they're prophets, right? Mm. Um, this is Philip K. Dick sort of <laughs> getting the exam results from his kids' terrible exam and thinking, okay, this is what it means. No, 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 that's not what it means. It means this. Oh, he's a prophet. Yeah. He's <laughs> like going through all the stages of possible interpretation. And uh, it's so poignant, I think. Um, just having that, that, the main character going to confront, you know, the big baddie and saying, oh, my arm's broken and you're responsible for horribleness. And also, uh, you're, so, you're not who you were. I can't blame you for it. Um. It's like the solution is not to go in and you know storm storm the White House and get rid of Trump, but go in there and shake your head and give him a hug, and you know pat him on the bum and tell him to go on his way. <laughs> <laughs> it's not um, it's not it's not the kind of reaction you would get if someone else wrote this book. Yeah, that's, that's why true. I like it. It's it true. Sorry, go ahead, Paul. No, go ahead. I know that's okay. I was just agreeing with Jesse. You go. (laughs) Yeah, it's just that in the hands of somebody else, this novel wouldn't even been half as interesting. It would have been kind of dull and boring. I mean, we we, we get that Dick sensibility and that Dick uh, obsessed with with the little quotidian details. I mean, it's not as polished as you said, as some of his earlier, not as some of his other novels, which is, which is, which is kind of sad in some ways, but it's still, it's more, it's still better than what other people with this material would have, would have come up with. I mean, it's I, better than reading a non flopcadic book. You just picked up from 1970, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of, yeah, what, what, yeah, a, a, a fair number of them. Yeah. It's like, be like, wait, what is this? And it, it, but there's also this show that, um, by that point, uh, the new wave is really in force and Dick's novels are, he's got to, uh, change and evolve. I mean, he wrote this in 1968. So we haven't, as I said before, with the whole, uh, maze of death, he hasn't made the switch in the transition over yet to the, to the big, not the big, big for Dick. anyway, big novels of the seventies coming up. But so it's kind of like, yeah, it's that last kind of, uh, after image of what he was writing and how things are handling. I mean, science, science fiction's gears kind of 
it's it's almost I, 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 it's hard to describe. I can see in my head. It's like different levels of clockwork and some running faster, some running slower. Eventually they all eventually most of the field generally moves on and the weight the new wave and the sixties is pulling the rest of the field slowly with it. And this is something that is starting that move but hasn't made it there yet. Mm-hmm. And a lot of but a, a lot of them but a lot, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of the a lot of novels around this time, either, yeah, are are in that kind of same boat. I mean, there's some brilliant novels from this era, and there's, like, say, Celestine's Lord of Light, for example. If, if if we could ever get an audio book of that, Jesse, I'd be up up for doing <laughs> that <laughs> one. Uh, but good. but there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that you, that yeah that that the uh, the dreaded suck fairy, was in effect then much less now. It's like. I would never want to read this. Why? But at least this was, at least this is not, it hasn't fallen into that unreadability. I mean, there's some weird stuff going on yeah, here. Not at all. I feel like it was really fun to read. Like, yeah, I definitely enjoyed reading it. I think the reason I rate it low is because I can't imagine myself recommending it to anyone that I know <laughs> of, you know? Yeah. This is not a really rereadable one. I mean, it's, this is not, the Man in the High Castle, which I've consumed several no. times now, or some of the yeah, later Dick I, novels, which you can delve in again it's and not, again. It's probably not going to be super re-readable. But, but there are moments in it that make it worth reading once, for totally. sure. Totally. Yeah. There's, there's so many uh, little things that, I love, just like that, that thing about God. But uh, I got to tell you, you know, the, the whole sequence, basically from the beginning of... Uh, of when he says, okay, I can't handle this right now. You go look at the store next door. I'm going into the drug bar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> From that point on until uh, the girl uh, dies and there's the cop asking him, <laughs> you know, who are you? And um, that uh, that's, that's the turning point of the novel for me, at least I think for Dick too in a certain sense. So there's a whole sequence there where – it's basically Philip K. Dick has to go find a new drug dealer for some reason, right? <laughs> and he finds the drug dealer. He's got a girlfriend who gets into a fight. Then he he either gets the drugs either from her or from him, and then they escape in a car. Um, Philip K. Dick is very passive. The girl's very active. Um, she thinks he's great. <laughs> And Philip K. Dick, uh, you know, is complimented by a 16-year-old, um, and she's got nice small boobs, which is what he likes. <laughs> uh, if he if she had nice big boobs, that'd be fine as well. <laughs> as long as she has boobs, um, that'd be cool. And then they they go on the run. Uh, they can't find a place to go, so he ends up taking her home to his wife. Yeah. Oh God, yes, and son. And the wife's like, "What's going on here?" And she says. Uh, uh, his, her, his boyfriend, her boyfriend was, uh, abusing him and why she, can't she go to the police or to her own family? Well, because she's an underman yeah. and she's selling illicit, like mm-hmm. the drug dealers in this book are selling, you know, uh, the communist manifesto or something like that. Whereas the drugs are legal, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he goes into a drug bar. It's legal and it's illegal to drink alcohol. His boss, yeah, that's how it starts, right? His yeah. boss says, uh, 
that scene's really great when his boss says, carve them deeper. <laughs> the tra- the grooves on the tire. And then our main character takes great pride in the fact that his father and his father, his father's father before him were tire regroovers. It's an art and I know how to do it. I won't go any deeper because I don't want these tires to burst. And then his boss sort of wanders off a little bit and puts on uh, a radio that goes around his neck. Seven uh, speaker radio system for some reason. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, beatboxes, not beatboxes, <laughs> you know, the Ubox. ghetto bladders, blasters of those days or whatever. And then the, a radio transmission comes on and announces that uh, Edward Snowden is going to be executed or whatever, you know, the equivalent of this guy yeah. is right. in the book. Um, and that just pisses off his boss, who, deep down, Philip K. Dick likes, right? Mm-hmm. And I know uh, he did have some boss that he really, really liked, um, who was super anti-racist, I believe. is it, one at the music store, I think, in his own life. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, and so and he really we liked see, And we've seen him before in another novel. Yep, yep. We've seen, we've seen that sort of figure before. Yeah. And then he says, ah, we're going to go, we're going to go here, share a beer with me. And Philip K. Dick is like, I, I don't, I don't really drink. And he says, come on. <laughs> and he's oh, okay. And then I, I got to tell my wife, why you got to tell her, get a new wife. Oh yeah. Right? That was a hilarious <laughs> conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and the Philip K. Dick analog is, oh, I can't get a new wife. I'm, I, I love my wife. I have to tell her everything. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's where the um, I love the audiobook narrator that. in this one. He was so good, and especially in that scene where the guy's like, "What? Well, mm. I've got to tell my wife," and he's like, "Why?" It's <laughs> <laughs> Patel. Yeah. We've heard him in uh, do other PKD novels. Yeah, yeah. he's great. Um, yeah, he is really good. Um, he does he does all the what the guy who runs the com- the extraordinary committee really well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fix okay. it. Yeah, he hmm. he maybe he made him sound like a, a New York Italian style gangster. Yeah, and, yeah. and I think that's deliberate and it works. Yeah, I, I, I was imagining it. this like yeah, it's, it's, it's like, I mean, I mean the physical description is right. I was imagining this dumpy little balding Italian gangster sneering. It's like yeah, whack whack, whack him. I hate him. I hate him. It's like <laughs> he he was just over the top. I mean, we were, we were talking about Trump all that Trump so all day here but so yeah he kind of reminded me of this very uh personal vindictive authoritarian uh tyrant who has a way too large vision of himself i mean he's got skills he's got mind reading and and such but he's just he, he i mean so he's like trump with uh with psionics and uh unlimited oh, power <laughs> well i think uh, you know if you treat it just as analogs um Trump is very good at reading people's minds. Um, he, he does it with the A-B testing with his speeches, right? Yeah. Oh, they like that. Okay, I'm going to use that material some more. I like a comedian practicing, you know, yeah. the audience likes that joke. I'm going to write more like that. Um, so, uh, Yeah, that's there like is, social intelligence, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this guy hasn't read a book ever, right? He just, he reads audiences in the same way that... And he lies in uh, bed all day. <laughs> what is like? What, what was that? It it kind of reminded me of uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where you have the ship, the captain, the the, sh- the captain ship toward the end, where he's just lying in a bathtub all the time. 
Zaphod Beeblebrox? No, 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 no. He, he becomes president of the universe. Right? You know? No, it's not Zaphod. It's 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 uh, it's the captain of the the ship that the they wind up landing on after escaping from uh, the restaurant at the end of the universe, and, turns, and the okay. ship lands on Earth, and it, it yeah. But the captain just lies in a bathtub all day because they're all useless people. They're the, they're the third raiders of the planet that they left. So, yeah, it. I mean, but he was incompetent. This guy, the, 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 this uh, this unusual. He's 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 too, he's vindictive and petty, and that's what ends him. He's. He, it's not that he's not competent. He's good at his job. That's kind of the scary part because we, because we have a. Because we have uh, our um, the guy in the spaceship trying to calculate and try to figure out what's this, what what's he going to do? And it's like, well, if he picks this guy, then I'm in real trouble. And so he's actually a competent antagonist and a very scary one because he uses the entire apparatus of the government for his own ends. And that's uh, I gotta I gotta say we have to add a lot of rhetorizer things. From this book, too? Oh, yeah. It was great for all that stuff. The squib. Um, what was the one uh, from the last book? I can't remember now. There was a... there was a. It wasn't a squib, but it was like that. A, oh. Some, some little phrase, like a flying car. Um, and they all had... Uh, what was it? The chicken. It was a chicken. Um, uh, the morbid yeah. chicken? Morbid chicken, Morbid right? chicken. And in this one, we have two. There's the gray dinosaur... <laughs> that's the uh, spaceship that's, um, coming oh, from yeah, that's Alpha right. Century that's or whatever. Names. Right, and then uh, there's the purple sea cow. <laughs> yeah, yep, the flying, <laughs> yep, the flying car. <laughs> I love it. Um, that whole sequence where uh, she's driving and gets into a car accident, I, I, I could accept that 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 is literally what happened. Right, uh, I think that's entirely possible. I don't know that. Philip K. Dick's girlfriend killed herself in a car accident, but I I could believe it if it happened, based on yeah. how this goes. Um, or at least that he had to jump in a car and run away from someone's boyfriend. Or <laughs> absolutely, I I mean I've had to do that myself. <laughs> <laughs> Not my boyfriend running, you know, some yeah. somebody's being stalked and it's like Jesus Christ, give it up, dude. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's like so. Um, the fact that he's got a souped up flying car and then (laughs) (laughs) and the other thing is, right, they're living in an awesome future, it sounds like, technologically. And he says, we can get it up to 50 or 70. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And then in the air that, you know, the highest number is like 120 or something. Um, and there's some, uh, some sort of, uh, Automatic driver system that can take over as well. Oh, you know, um, yeah, like, yeah, there's an autopilot, but you know, like, um, I guess self driving car basically. There's a she, she could, I don't know, turn off the turn off the controls or set it to ready to crash and it would auto correct so you wouldn't crash into things, right? But it didn't have, it didn't have that sentience of some of the other ones we've seen. No. Yeah, so yeah. We, we don't have – although I remember there was a door in here that um, opened automatically because the police were there. 
It didn't say anything like, I'm betraying you because you haven't fed me lately. <laughs> Things like that. But it, it, it's still the same world. It's just the appliances don't talk. Yeah. Right? In this in this world. They work well, but they don't talk. Mm-hmm. I mean, aside from the fact that apparently people are so cheap, they will buy bad regrooved tires to save money. I don't know. I don't know. I don't oh, know. I how they, they don't know. They don't know that they're buying regrouped tires. They think they're just buying tires, right? It's it's not Ill, if it's illegal or not illegal doesn't seem to matter. Wait a minute. Uh, wait a minute. At one point, doesn't our uh, does he makes it illegal? He makes it. Yeah. I, I yeah. I thought. Uh, and he should make it illegal. It's horrible. I mean, there is something called retreads. I've heard of those before, right? In real life, you can get tires with. Um, New treads bonded onto them. Yeah, and and and, tr- and you can get extra things put onto uh, truck tires, and every so often they do fall off. Yeah, I've seen, I, them, I've, I've seen so, them on the road. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. So yeah, that that that's definitely a thing. I wonder if Dick was thinking of those. I I think yeah, it's some sort of profession that should be illegal that isn't. Um, and so that's the funny thing about this world, right? Is there are. Things that we think sh- should be legal and things that we think shouldn't be illegal and everything's inverted, right? Mm-hmm. So he goes – he on his way to take his kid to the government testing, he has to stop in at a drug bar and get a bunch of uh, – a special mix of drugs so he can calm himself down. Right. right. And then the, the owner of the bar says, get that kid out of here. We can't serve him. And he says, well, my local bar has no – and." Right, it's just different local right. policy, um, and and then we find out, yeah, alcohol is illegal, and that you can go to to prison for a year uh, for just uh, having had a drink, and that it causes uh, psychotic um, violence. No, and it, it, it's also it's like any amount of alcohol makes you addicted to it. Yeah, right? it's, it's, it's sort of the talk we hear yeah. about and a it, lot of other drugs, right? It, 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 it's kind of like the alcoholic version of reefer madness. Yeah, exactly. It is. Yeah, it is. And um, and yet, flying into rages for no reason. Yeah, that's right. And yet, the drugs are perfectly legal. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's doping himself up on amphetamines. Literally, he says at one point. Yeah, I love how often there's characters that are just kind of running into rooms, being like, "I need something to calm down." And he's like, "We'll take fifty milligrams of blah blah blah," that's and then they right. just pass on. <laughs> that's right. Um, there's um, if you remember, there's a scene in the man who japed um. Oh, that's another sort of these books that everybody kicks dirt onto and that I like. Um, Who didn't <laughs> kick that much dirt on? No, I know. But, uh, you know, nobody says, oh, The Man Who Japed. What a great Philip K. Dick novel. Right. They just, you know, oh, yeah, it's another Dick book. Um, but they don't, you know, they don't love it like I, I kind of love it, even though I know it's not his best book. But there's a, a scene in there. I think it's in there um, where he goes to Hokkaido, I think it is, Japan. Um, and he buys some illegal books. Yeah, yeah, that? yeah. That's men who japed. Yeah, in the man who japed. So that's the thing, right? Is drugs are legal, alcohol is illegal, um, but you can you can get it if you if you left, you know, you found it some from a long time ago before it was illegal or whatever. Uh, even the 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 top man has a, some twenty five year old scotches, whatever. I noticed it wasn't like. You know, the greatest scotch ever. It's just like, yeah, it's, it's like, ooh, that's rare. <laughs> um, and his boss has a beer which he shares with him. 
right? Yeah, and the effects last for so long. <laughs> yeah, and then um, uh, what's illegal is the books. So you go into the into the into the drug den, and you look around, and there's people abusing books everywhere. And, <laughs> and he says, "Yeah, but you want a dime bag for your for your book, or you want a, a five a five piece book?" <laughs> it's like yeah. It's, it's literally a drug scene, but yeah. he's buying tracts. He's buying T R A C T S. Sorry, go ahead, Paul. I was thinking of uh, Jack Tr- Tracks. Well, you know who yeah, Jack Chick is, right? Oh, no. Yeah. Who's that? Um, he he just recently died. He was the guy that produced all these uh, anti. Uh, They're like Yeah, anti-liberal, pro-creationist, anti-Catholic. Tracks that that just spread across America. I mean, real far right wing, twisted Christian theology tracks. Like D and is going to send you to hell and all that. Oh, okay, right. But yeah, but they, well, they they were everywhere in the U.S. at one point. Not illegal though. Right? Not 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 illegal to. But the, when 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 he said tracks, that's immediately where my mind jumped to. Like, oh crap, it's like to tracks. Well, bad. it's political tracts, right? Like, this is a very sort of 19th century uh, anarchists, you know, are posting these up and we got to suppress them. Except, sort of. it, yeah, but the, um, the people who are posting them and selling them don't read them and don't care about them. <laughs> like, Well, they say that, but um, the girl had read, uh, read them, right? Yeah, but it's, they're not like... Um, they're but not she like says, spread by the people who are most oh, passionate about it. Oh, you haven't got it. addicted to this yet, right? Because she says something like, um, "Oh, you you care about me as a person rather than the the you know the uh, the struggle, right? You you're not you obviously haven't got addicted yet. Right. Yeah, you haven't read one yet. Yeah, that's what he says. Right. She Which says, is it, it is it's like um, it's that teenager that 16 year old is manipulating this you know i don't know 35 or 40 year old guy um like wrapping around her little finger she wants she wants something i need to get out of here uh, don't you ever touch me without me asking my permission or whatever i'll i'll bite you or whatever it is <laughs> um it's so ridiculous um and he's like yeah, oh yeah okay um and then she says something sort of just off the cuff and he th- he treats it like it's profound and deep, um, and that it's just precious. I guess is the word for it. Yeah, that's yeah. why <laughs> I like it. So th- the fact that he's got the tracks there, and I does have uh, some amazing little bits here and there. I think that um, you just kind of said it there as well, where that girl is sort of precious, and I think even mm-hmm. one of the wives criticizes him in this story yeah. for like, oh yeah, men they just want to take little helpless animals and girls in and care for them and like that just sounds so much like Philip K. Dick. Like not that many yep. men that I know, but Oh, totally. <laughs> it's, it's like he's obviously heard that criticism from his wives, like, oh yeah, you're just bringing in all the lost cats and kittens and girls. <laughs> and what is his boss says says something, um uh the reason your wife doesn't want you drinking is because she sees you as a money making machine. Oh yeah. And the alcohol um damages your ability to um it's like somebody wrecking her machine right right? so don't wreck my machine you can't drink because you're not and um see i think there's a core of truth to all of these sort of little 
analyses mm-hmm. that he's doing, mm-hmm. um, not just with his own life, but like that is why he acts that way. And that is why she acts that way. Um, if you depend on somebody for your income, you don't want them screwing up their life because that screws up your life. Yeah. It's just obvious. Um, and because uh, of the way women are sort of still 1950s or ni- I guess 1960s women, um, you know, there. I think there was a policewoman in here, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. Alice yeah. something. Oh wait, she had her she had her gender taken That's away. That's true. Yeah, she she was um completely genderless was, and had like yeah. a, a weird expression on but, her face because of that. Like, but not just she didn't just have her like the uniform took away her gender, right? Mm-hmm. Like as as uniforms are supposed to do, they turn you all into the same thing, whether you're male or female. Well, right, she right. went through a process. I, I just love Dick. Dick gets pulled over by a policewoman and her partner, right? And and he's like. She just looks just like him. You can barely see her boobs. Or whatever <laughs> yeah. it is. And it's like, and her personality's changed too. She's she must have had her gender removed. You know, she must have had her ovaries removed so that she can perform her job better. Right. It's like those crazy ideas. And he's right. I mean, that's kind of what those that's what uniforms are designed to do. Mm-hmm. They're trying to they try to remove you from uh, yourself and make you uh, fit a machine. So that people, when you they see you, they, they know you are that. Right. They, and you see that it makes you that. Inside. Yeah. Right. Um, there, there's a whole uh, school of uh, psychology about how um, when you put on a coat, you know, like a lab coat, it makes you more uh, act more rigorously scientific, right? And you put on a, a house coat, and you're you know embarrassed when people come to the door and knock on it because you're in your private space or whatever. Mm. So the, I can't remember the exact phrase for it, but there is this clothing as um, psychology and by taking off or putting on different kinds of, not just hats, but literally pieces of clothing, you, um, you get different reactions. Um, I'm one of these people who doesn't uh, conform to, well, I, I wear my own uniform, you know, like all year round. It's just I wear whatever I want. Right? <laughs> Your Jesse uniform. I'm Jesse. I don't <laughs> need to follow other people's fashions. So whatever whatever situation, I I have, make sure my shirt has a pocket uh, so I can put my phone in it. Right. <laughs> um, so I can I used to have my earbuds, you know, attached to it. I didn't want to have it all the way down in my other pocket, in my pants pocket or whatever. So people look at me and say things like, yeah. Why are you dressed like that? <laughs> oh, Jesse. Um, there was a great bit by um, there was a great bit by uh, Richard Dawkins in a recent uh, in- interview, and they they asked him why he had. Uh, it, we knew we know you had a stroke recently. Is that why your socks don't match? <laughs> oh my goodness! And he says no. Um, uh, he said, no, I want, I deliberately choose socks that don't match. So people will ask me and I can point out, um, that we're ruled by a tyranny of, uh, socks that tells us that you have to have matching socks because <laughs> it makes no sense because shoes have chirality, right? There's a right shoe and a left shoe, but socks don't. If you lose a sock, you have to throw out the other sock according to the standard logic, right? Because you don't have a matching sock. Right. But that's not actually true of, of socks. 
they don't have a chirality. A left sock and a right sock are exactly the same sock. And so if you wear matching socks, which I, I'm sad to say I, I have done for a while now, <laughs> um, you get a um, – you're under the – under the thumb of big sock <laughs> or under the big so toe hilarious. of big sock or whatever it is. Right. Um, so, but that, that psychology of appearance actually does make it into this book because the alien and Provoni talk about that. And the alien says, well, mm. if you come out as looking as you are, then people aren't going to, uh, people might not take you, uh, seriously because you look unshaven and unclean and Provoni right. yeah, argues back. Well, People should see see me for what I am, and so they could, so they know the experiences I've gone through, and they accept me for that. So there's an argument back and forth about what you should, whether what it'd be better for him to clean up first or not. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was one of the funny scenes where you're you're watching this amazing idea of a space alien bringing this guy back to Earth, and there the aliens like subtly trying to hint that he should have a bath and <laughs> yes, <laughs> clean up exactly. before they get to the public. Jonah inside the whale, right? Mm-hmm. I'm talking to the whale, and the whale's coming back to Earth to save everybody. Uh, there's some funny stuff going on in this sort of ridiculous yeah. situation. I, um, uh, uh, another space savior as well. Another right? space so savior as well. If we're adding to the Philip K. Dick Redderizer, um, this isn't uh, what um, the three stigmata of Palmer Eldritch, right? It's this, in that case, it's a negative space savior. Here, it, they are our friends, um, and they're waiting just out, outside in hyperspace. Um, if you don't believe me, uh, they'll come. But thankfully, you gave us enough laser energy uh, that we managed to get all our work done in a day. Right? It's like um, it's there's some sort of uh, yeah cr- Christian allegory going on here. Yeah, for sure. Where you you zap him, and instead of um, him dying and uh, going into a cave and ascending, it just makes his job easier. Mm-hmm. And um, it, there is sort of a day the, the earth stood still sort of feeling there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, with the with the the man, but it's not really a man um, talking to the people and his robot Gort, who says, "No, we're not going to destroy the earth. These foolish humans are." Right? Like, there's something fun going on here. I I would say it's, I can't say it's underrated because I don't know how well it's rated, but I I just didn't think of this book before, I guess because I hadn't read it. But I really, I really like it. Yeah, I was expecting it to be really bad just because I'd never heard of it. It'd never come up on any radar. No, nobody ever talks about it. Yeah, no one talks about it. So yeah, I thought it would be terrible, Dick. It's not terrible. It's It's not not terrible. No, it's not terrible at all. But, um, um, I, um, I have uh, a couple pages I want to read at some point. Go, go, go why, don't you, why don't you go for it now? Oh, yeah. No, Marissa, you were going to say something. Oh, I was just going to mention that you um, you pointed out that neat little um, nod to um, Puppet Masters in there as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wasn't that fun? Yeah. Um, I'm sure glad we... You were you were on that show, right, Marissa? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Paul? Yeah, I you, was. Yeah. Okay. So, I, I didn't know that that was going to be in here, but... Um, I just love that uh, Philip K. Dick literally uh, refers to that novel, and they go a little bit into it, just saying, you know, okay, they they each person gets their own rider or whatever, yeah. same rider, but it was it was literally the premise of the invasion of the Earth by uh, 
malignant aliens rather than a friendly or friend friend yeah friendly aliens right, right. uh-huh that'll make uh, all the new men frolic <laughs> 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 frolic in the playroom um and uh, just the the wave dick has of making that vision of all these what what is 20,000 uh, I don't know new men or however many there are that rule the earth um they're going to have to live in camps right like he turns that word camps uh, from the negative that it was earlier in the book. Um, there's a scene. Um, Ild is his name, right? He's the, the, he's the, the big bad advisor. Yeah, with no eyelids. He's, <laughs> okay. he's Ild, Ild is the Mike Pence of this world. Is that the idea? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> something like that he's he's the big bad advisor to uh the leader and he says um uh he goes to him and he says um the new ear oh, is that called the new ear or the big ear the big ear it's the big ear um big ear is the nsa right they're gonna listen to everybody's thoughts everybody's thoughts i i tweeted it let's see if i got the quote i think i don't know if i sent it to you guys um, I I just thought, wow, that's so um, prescient, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it says the great ear. Nick said, great ear. Do you remember that B- uh, building that? He's asking Ild once he's in his new childlike state. Oh yes, Ild said, I did that. It's going to hear everyone's thoughts, and then a pause. We can put people into camps, relocation camps. It's like, holy shit. Mm. <laughs> Um, that is so scary. And of course it's, I mean, (laughs) when Bush and Obama, they're they're building all these, we're going to use these things for good. We're going to stop terrorism. Right. And it's, Oh, uh, I'm, I'm done. I'm done presidency. Oh, and here's the nuclear football, Mr. Mr. President. And here's the keys to the NSA and here, right. Handing all these things prep, prepping for the apocalypse, you know, the new dystopia that, uh, is, just happened on Friday or whatever, right? Wow. Holy cow. Um, that's exactly why you don't want it. And the analogies with, with we've got two, two, two people who are, you know, the, um, the how's the radio, the uh, fake news radio in this, uh, and television on this, in this world. There's a lot of television and radio listening, mm. television watching and radio listening in this book. He says, um, uh, uh, well known for his crimes against the people, right? And then, of course, there's no crimes listed, right? Just the crimes against the people. Um, um, what's his name? Corden is going to be executed. Yeah. Right. Um. Uh. First, he was commuted, and then there's that scene where, like, I I'm going to get you for this. You, you know, oh, you don't like that? Fine, I'm going to execute you. And I now I know you feel bad. Um, it's like. That last minute um, clemency on Chelsea Manning, holy shit! Exactly right. And Julian Assange is stuck in a in an embassy, right? Uh, he's going to come and save us all. Um, yeah, well, not exactly. It's not. He is not predicting the future, but just with that 2019 reference um, and sort of just how timely this book is now. I really like this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know it's not his best book, but. It, um, it was. I it love was, that. It was. It was strange sense of timing that we read this 
It was right very now. So we, we did not plan that, listeners. Totally, totally I like that surprising. The analysis they did in there, I can't remember if it was the alien or who it was who was talking about people's motives as well for mm. joining the political parties. And right. They're talking about how the old men, which is just like the regular humans, the motives are always personal. Like they care more about, you know, their families or their lovers or someone than the actual political movement. So if you give them mm. a choice between, they would just give up. Yeah, there's uh, there's um something of the one percent, you know, the people keeping other people from joining the that that's what yeah. the test sort of meanness at the beginning is about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're you're fated to be a tire regroover because your father was a tire regroover. There's no social movement, um, and then I love the fact that it turns out that that new math, uh, the new math of the uh, the the uh, new man thinking in symbolic logic. <laughs> he can't read his mind because it's all in symbolic logic, right? Um, he It turns out it doesn't work, right? The great elaborate theory that they've developed that allows you to predict the future with 100% certainty, mm-hmm. completely wrong, right? Just, it, it's it's like um, string theory, you know? Yep. Oh, we got that. We got it all solved. It's all coming together. We're, we know how it all works. And then some other guys go, no, no, I got it all together. Here's how it works. And every five years, there's a new version uh-huh. that's you know, announced on the cover of Popular Science. <laughs> <laughs> and just like on the cover of Popular Mechanics, every five years, they have to put the same a flying car that that guy in California has been working on. Um, still needs a little bit more investment money. Just <laughs> needs a little, we just need a little bit more research money. We're going to be there sometime soon, right? It, these are scammers. These are scammers. People work in the system. Uh, whether they know it or not, they're scamming everybody. Um, And I love that that it just turns out that way because um, that's what exams are, right? If you set up the system and you know all the answers and you write all the answers and you say, if you don't know all the answers, then you don't... um, I can can write an exam that only I can pass. Yeah. Right? And if you set it up that way, you can make it sure that nobody else can get into the into the well, yeah, say, or the, or only the people country club. Want. This this reminds me. Oh my god, I'm going to go way back in history. Um, there was there was a TV show back in the early '80s, late '70s, early '80s called Different Strokes. <laughs> do, you, do you remember it, Marissa? Vaguely, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so, what so, you talking about, Willis? Yeah, exactly. So it's so yeah. At one point, Arnold, uh, I think it was Arnold or Willis. One of them takes an intelligence test and fails. And, uh, and, and and their adoptive father really gets upset about this. He finds a different intelligence test that relies on knowledge of black culture and gives it to the test examiners, and they start failing, and he starts saying, <laughs> well, it looks like you're not that intelligent. So, uh, that's right. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so, it's, yeah, it's kind of like a slam on, yeah, and tests test what you want them to test, not necessarily. Well, they've gone out of fashion, right? IQ tests have gone out of fashion. But they weren't out of fashion in 1970, and they weren't out of fashion when Philip K. Dick was right. young. Uh, they were in fashion, and Philip K. Dick is obviously super smart, right? He's super well-read. Um, he, he's deep thinker, always writing about what he's thinking about. Um, this is not a guy who uh, should fail any kind of intelligence test, but I bet he did oh, because oh, yeah. he's totally thinking the wrong way about these questions. He's not thinking the way that quote unquote new men 
who set it up uh, are thinking. He's thinking differently. He's a divergent thinker rather than a um, what. I, I mean, I I do this kind of as my job as well. You know, like provincial exams we have here. Yeah. Um, and it literally is. You know, here's here's a poem. Um, and now answer a bunch of questions about this poem. Some of them are technical, right? You know, like what – it's not so much what is a, an oxymoron or, you know, uh, what is – that you know, what poetic device is being used here. Sometimes it's like which of these is more correct, right? And, the, and I'm going through – I'm an expert at this. I love poetry. I've taught this stuff for years. And then I just look at it. There's no reason that this one was chosen over that one. It was badly formed. The question is badly formed. So you can't get it right every time unless you know what the person who was writing it was thinking. And so I have to do this double think with the students so that they know you have to sort of imagine what the other person was going for to guess. And you can't do that in in the short amount of time. So it's never going to be perfect unless you have the exact same kind of brain as the person who wrote it. Yeah, that's so true. Like that's what I'm doing all the time with my editing work when I'm working with authors. Like, right? You can you can read it and interpret it one way, but it's about like, did they mean it to look that way, or is there like another way to interpret this? Or and then you have to just ask questions because you can't. Yeah, you can't always just tell. <laughs> I I think that that's exactly right. Um, and it, editing totally is about figuring out what the reader is taking from a scene mm-hmm. because the author has it in their mind already. Yeah. They think that they've transposed that onto the page mm-hmm. and maybe they have, but probably they haven't. If, if they haven't done it a million times and gotten a bunch of feedback so that people like, I know I need to actually tell them this. And yes, just yesterday I was, a student was asked to, write narrative uh, nonfiction. And I said, and the, the teacher's advice was um, do more dialogue, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious for narrative nonfiction. <laughs> Maybe you can do that. Um, and, and then I gave her an example from a Philip K. Dick story where the, what's happening is um, we're inside the character's mind. But I also told her that she can't over... She can't, uh, in her own regular writing, she's over overdoing it so that there's no work for the reader to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do it that way, you over-explain it. It feels like it's all long and boring. Yeah. What you got to do is get it just right so that they know where you're pointing. And that idea pops into their head on their own. And you can move on without telling them something they already know because of where you're pointing them towards. It's very subtle. Yeah, and that's exactly what makes people think a book is good. Like when they have that that kind of feeling of like yep. working a little bit for it but not too hard, it's like such a fine balance. Yep. yep. The, and the reader has to complete the circuit. They can't have an entire yeah. circuit because that feels boring, but it can't be too much that they're slogging through. They just have to have just enough that the reader has to fill that puzzle piece in. Yep. And it's a high art for author and editor to get that right. Yeah, because that's the thing as well. Like, then you have to also think of how many different kinds of human beings they are, and how differently so many different people could interpret one line. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I've got um, uh, it's a couple pages actually, a little more than a couple. 
a couple pages in a bit I wanted to read. Go ahead. I just, uh, it's great Philip Kiddick writing. Um, this is page 165, bottom of 165. That, that melted his heart. No, of course not, he said. I don't want you to do this. He put his hand on her shoulder. It's just that you did it here with Denny. For, he thought, it may be like old times, but for me, there's a specter hanging over me. The Dionysian face, Dionysian face of the young boy. <laughs> All that life and snuffed out just like that, her, her um, abusive boyfriend, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he, he says, it reminds me of part of a poem, he said, by Yeats. Now, I haven't looked this poem up. If you guys do, I would love that. I should have done that. Um, he helped her take off her Alaforget, Alafor I don't know, Alaforget sweater. And then, oh, yeah. <laughs> all I forget, or something is like that, right? Um, they were easy to get on, hard to get off. Once they had molded them, uh, once they had molded themselves to the curves of the body, I should just spray myself with paint. <laughs> You've seen that in other mm-hmm. books, right? Mm-hmm. She said, as her as the sweater came off, "You don't get the texture of the fabric that way." He said. He paused a moment and said, "Hopefully, do you like Yates?" Was he before Bob Dylan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this book it. is obsessed. Yeah, this this lady's obsessed with Dylan. Go ahead. <laughs> but that that's got to literally be true, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, it, this is a book from 1970, but actually set in 200 or more years in the future, right? Yeah, but that, now, I, now that Bob Dylan's a Nobel Prize laureate, it, now uh, it, 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 it makes sense that they'd it still does be take talking a, about. Yeah. <laughs> Was he before Bob Dylan? Yes. Then I don't want to hear about him. As far as I'm concerned, poetry started with Dylan and has declined since. <laughs> that is both That is both Philip K. Dick's talking and the girl talking, right? Because Philip, Philip K. Dick would say uh, uh, about somebody else, because he likes chamber music, right? Um, and the girl loves Dylan, but now, of course, it's 200 years later, so nobody <laughs> listens to Dylan. Together, they removed the rest of their clothing. For a time, they lay naked in the cold, wet grass, and then simultaneously, they rolled towards each other. He rolled himself onto her, held her gaze, uh, held her, gazed down at her face. I'm ugly, she said, aren't I? <laughs> you think that? He was appalled. Why, you're one of the most attractive women I've ever met. I'm not a woman, she said, matter-of-factly. I can't give back. What? I can only accept, not give. What? So, those what's are mine, by the way. So don't expect anything of me, just that I'm here now. Wow. It's statutory rape, he told her presently. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. God. He told her presently. Charlie said, look, the end of the world has come. We're being taken over by... Uh, over and neurologically destroyed by an unkillable thing. <laughs> so at the time like this, what pisser is going to cite you? Oh, by the way, yep. uh, the pisser um, is a is a good. It's the PSS, right? Um, but also, they're not officers; they're ossifers, right? So it sounds like you're drunk already when you're talking about the cops. Yeah, the ossifer, ossifers. Yeah. Ossifers. <laughs> oh, why why did you pull me over, ossifer? <laughs> um, but uh, os- to ossify with S's is um, is to is actually what their their job is, right? It's to 
uh, turn into bone, right? Uh, ossification is is turning into bone. Uh-huh. Um, um, so uh, the the black shirts, right? Oh God, I got to talk talk to you about the black shirts. Remind me uh, later. The black shirts' job is to uh, make sure that the new men keep their jobs, the unusuals keep their jobs, the undermen uh, don't get above their station, right? Right. Uh, so uh, Charlie said, look at the – oh, I already read that part. Um, so at a time like this, what pisser is going to cite you? Anyway, there have been – there have to be a complaint made. And who would do it? Who would witness it? Witness it, he echoed holding her close to him for a moment. PSS, monitoring systems. They probably had one set up in Central Park, forgotten as it was. I hesitate to think as to what, how close this was to the reality of Philip K. Dick's life, but I think it probably was pretty close. And he's saying, I'm committing statutory rape here. Yeah. Um, somebody's got to be watching me through the television or something. Yeah. Like, I got oh that feeling God. that he those lines are probably exactly oh, from his life. <laughs> they probably had one set up in Central Park, forgotten as it was. And it, it probably happened in a park, too, because he can't go home because he's got a wife there. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, he withdrew. <laughs> okay. He withdrew from her, then leaped, on, leaped to his feet. Get your clothes on fast, he said, reaching for his own. If you're thinking of a pisser monitoring of this park, I am. Believe me. They're all watching Times Square, except for those who are new men, like Director Barnes. They'll be tending to the damaged ones. A thought struck her. That means Willis Graham, she sat up, buried her hands in her ruffled, grass-wet hair. I'm sorry, she said, but I sort of liked him. She began to get her own clothes on, and then she dropped them to the ground and beseechingly said, Look, Nick, the PSS isn't coming to get us. I'll tell you what I'll I'll do. You take me a a little longer. Maybe just five minutes or so. <laughs> can you read that? What is it? Oh, and you can read. You take me and you can read. What? What is it? The poem to me? <laughs> yeah. She's making a bargain. You keep having sex with me and I'll let you read you. Read yeah. that. Oh, <laughs> a weird idea. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't have the book with me. And you, kn- and you know it. Do you remember it? I guess so. Fear. Like a tide rising in his heart made him ter- tremble as he put his own clothes back down and approached the supine girl. As he put his arms around her, he said, It's a sad poem. I was thinking about Denny and this spot here where you used to come in the cow. And it's as if his spirit's buried here. You're hurting me, Charlie complained. Do it more slowly. And that's that was the point in the story where I realized, oh, they were having sex that whole time. Like I was, I was suddenly like, Jesus Christ! I didn't realize. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I knew they were naked and they were about to have sex, but I didn't realize they had ha- been having sex. I mm-hmm. guess I missed that that word. Uh, you know, just maybe five more minutes, a little longer. Like, I I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I just love that. Once we've had that so, sort of surprising sex scenes that you didn't know were sex scenes <laughs> yes. in other Philip K. Dick books. Once again, he got to his feet. Uh, he began methodically to dress. I can't take the chance of being picked up, he said. With those assassins, those black pissers out for me. <laughs> she lay unmoving and then said, tell me the poem. Will you get dressed while I'm saying it? No, she said, arms behind her head, staring upward at the stars. 
Pervoni came from up there, she said. God, I'm just so goddamn glad I'm not a new man right now. She clenched her fists and ground out the... Uh, and I remember when I was hearing this, this was... I was thinking about... I was like, God, I'm so glad I'm not an American right now. <laughs> I'm like, how how do you guys, like, not hang your heads in shame and, like, despair? And, like, I know that everybody is, but it's just, like, it's unbelievable, right? Mm-hmm. Anyways, I'm not a new man right now. She clenched her fists and ground out the words harshly. He's doing right, but... You have to feel feel sorry for them, the new men, lobotomized. Their nodes of Rogers gone, and God knows what else. And then this is the part that made me convinced I had to read this part to you guys. Surgery out of space, she laughed. Let's write it up and call it the cosmic surgeon from a distant star, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's great. That's very much. Alternate title for this novel. He crouched down, gathering up her items. Purse, sweater, underwear. I'll tell you the poem, and then you'll understand why I can't go with you to places uh, you and Denny went. I can't replace him like a new Denny. Next, you'll be giving me his wallet, which is probably ostrich hide, his watch, a criterion, his agate cufflinks he broke off. I must be gone. There's a grave where da- where daffodil and lily wave. He start, he's doing the poem, right? Mm-hmm. There is a grave. Where daffodil and lily wave, and he paused. Go on, she said. I'm listening, and I would, I would please the hapless fawn buried under the sleepy ground with mirthful songs before the dawn. What does mirthful mean? She asked. He ignored her and spoke on. His shouting days with mirth were crowned, and still I dreamed he treads the lawn, walking ghostly in the dew. Pierced, he thought, by my glad singing through, but he could not say it aloud. It affected him too much. Yep, the, isn't that great? Yep, the, the the poem is the song of the happy shepherd. Ah, and he's quoting from the last uh, last uh, stanza. So I'm going to read the entire thing. Okay. Well, the entire last stanza. It, reading the whole poem is a little long. Okay, so I must be gone. There is a grave where daffodil and lily wave, and I would please the hapless fawn buried under the sleepy ground. With mirthful songs before the dawn, his shining days with mirths were crowned, and still I dream he treads the lawn, walking ghostly in the dew, pierced by my glad singing through, my song of old earth's dreamy youth. But ah, she dreams not now, dream thou, for there are poppies on the brow. Dream, dream, for this is also sooth. Hmm. Uh, yeah, so it's... It's... It's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's one of those kind of... Uh, gr- Greek early. It's very, very Greek. It's very, very Greek because the first lines is the wood of the woods of Arcadia are dead. So the Arcadia. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So, so yeah. It's, it, that's sort of a. And he mentions Kronos at one point. So yeah. So it's. It, um. It, it's also it's also a gay poem, I think, or something like it, a Greek poem in a certain sense because fawns are male, mm-hmm. right? Um, and piercing a fawn who's dead. Uh, if if you're a shepherd, this is all male male love rather than male female love as Philip K. Dick does. But he gives her that uh, that poem comes up again when he thinks about her grave and um, that scene that last uh, second to last scene with the with the the childlike new man giving him a picture of of. Uh, 
um, the girl, what's her name? I've forgotten her name now. Charlie. Charlie. Uh, Charlie, uh, a drawing of her in the ground um, with green above, right? Um, he first he drew a picture of the world all in black with a black sun, right? And I was thinking that that's um, one of those dark melancholy moods Philip K. Dick's in, right? And then he he asks again. It's like this is Philip K. Dick asking his autistic son for a drawing, and gets gets it back, and it's all disturbing. It's black, and oh, what does this mean? He's a prophet. And then he asks him another for another drawing, and it's green, and it's not so bad. I don't know. There's something something powerful in here. Mm. Oh, I forgot the black, the black shirts. Yes, the black shirts. So there is um, a Philip K. Dick short story. And it, ba- it baffled me for years and years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still baffled. There's a few that are like that that baffle me. I don't understand why he wrote wrote it. Um, um, it's not a great story, and I, I don't know why he wrote it. I still don't get it. It's called The Crystal Crypt. It's one of his first. It's published in January 1954, uh, Planet Stories. It's public domain, so you know there's uh, copies available around the internet. Um, I'll just read the uh, description for you here and then maybe give you a little more. Uh, The story is set in a distant future where Earth and Mars are on the verge of war. The last spaceship to leave for Mars headed for Earth is stopped and searched by Martian soldiers who are um, dressed basically as SS officers. Um, Like uh, Schutzstaffel, right? Mm -hmm. World War II Nazis. Um, uh, And they're looking for three saboteurs. How many saboteurs have we, or how many traitors do we have in this book? Um, several. There's the one who's in prison, uh, the the Chelsea Manning sort of right. character. There uh, gets clemency. Um, there's the one. Oh no, does he get killed? I can't remember now. He gets killed. Um, yeah. Okay. He, but everyone else gets clemency, right? All the political prisoners. Um, and then um, there's the the one who's. Uh, in, um, on the on the loose, and they're going to get him any minute now, right? Um, so they're looking for three saboteurs in this story who destroyed a Martian city. They're not found, and the ship continues towards Earth. On board the spaceship, a businessman by the name of Thatcher meets a young woman and two men who tell that they are the people sought by the Martians and proceed to tell Thatcher the story of how they did not destroy the Martian city but used a device to reduce the city to fit into a tiny globe, which they smuggled on board the ship. The city is to be used as a bargaining chip against Mars in the upcoming war. Thatcher reveals that he is a Martian secret agent, and several of the passengers on board are Martian police. So, basically, this it's a really weird story, because it's mostly set like on an airplane, kind of, right? Yeah. Um, the SAS come on board, search the ship, are like... They're not called SS in the story, but they they're dressed in black. It's very obvious they're supposed to be, um, you know, uh, black shirts, Nazi black shirts. Um, they search the passengers. Everybody's offended and upset. Um, and what and then we find out that the the crystal crypt of the title is uh, like a little snow globe, which is in one of the person's bags. And that's where the Martian city is. 
So it's like a terrible science fiction story because, you know, you have a reducing rain. You put it like it's, it's just stupid. It's so weird, uh, yeah. It's yeah. so bad. And I don't understand. Like, I didn't understand it. But it's it's this thing. He's, he's just – he cannot get uh, the idea of the SS out of his mind. Mm-hmm. It permeates all his, his – well, not all, but it, it's in a lot of his stuff. And that relationship between, you know, the SS coming in and rifling through your things. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just, it's a powerful image. He, he uh, was a kid during World War II, I think. Um, and probably saw those newsreel uh, things that we've seen, you know, in, on TV documentaries or whatever of or all the movies. Who knows? Um, so having that sort of, Im- I don't know emblazoned in your mind as a kid he uses it again and again that's what these guys are here right they are the security police they're the secret police they're gonna you know arrest you throw you in jail they want to read your minds but then in that car accident um where she kills herself was a chapter 24 or something um she drives the car into a um into a hydrogen truck or something right for to power the laser beam he survives she dies and he can't feel his body he can just see this light right um and it, i i'm like wow that's a weird what's what's this and that's the point in the story where i think okay dick well at least he gives me the sense that he doesn't know where he is until he says what the light is he says is that the light of a police officer shining in my eyes? And then, of course, he can see the police officer. And the police officer says, are you okay, buddy? Your arm looks bad. Um, the girl's dead, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and he says, I have to see her. I have to see her. He, he the, the cop says, she's dead. You don't want to see her. He, he sees her brain, like, cut open. Yeah, that was a gorgeous um, scene. A really gory yeah. scene, and it's like, why? Why is that? Why is that like that? Um, really brutal, sort of. I was surprised. Killing yeah. of the girl, right? Yeah, I, I was really surprised yeah, really he went sudden. that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he gives the the cop. He gives the cop a fake name when the cop persists, and he says, "Let me see your ID." Mm-hmm. And then he starts running. <laughs> just takes off running away from the cop and the cop says what dude where are you going (laughs) (laughs) you need to go to the hospital let me take you to the hospital Uh, and he he stops running and turns around and says you're not gonna arrest me no man says the cop (laughs) the horrible ss guy right the horrible ss guy no no, man, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll take you to the hospital. And he's, no, no, I don't want to go to the hospital. I need to go see this this other guy. And he says, okay, all right, I'll take you over there. And he takes the guy to see the the um, the uh, second in, second in command, right? The evil behind the, the throne. Yeah. Um, and then we get that really pathetic scene of this guy with a really bad arm break. Um being kindly treated by a bunch of SS guys um, who are just human beings after all. Mm-hmm. And and having that exchange with a brilliant monster who's now a pathetic 
uh, literally pathetic um, monster that can't really be monstrous anymore. Mm. And he, he actually gets something positive out of it. It's that Philip K. Dick is so willing to have his mind changed about things that you can even convince him that the SS aren't, aren't really all that bad. It's amazing. Yeah, that's so true. That is, that is him coming through in his um, characters. Yeah. They're like little arcs are always sort of changing. I don't, I, I, I don't know anybody else who's like that. Yeah. I'm, okay, I'm trying to I think wish and people fail. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, for all- that, uh, that car chase is really well done too. He's not a um, an action guy, but that's polished writing. Um, I was with it the whole time there, where they're zipping down and through and above, and and she's she's sort of mad, mad a mad driver, yeah, right? out yeah. of control. That's why I'm, I was wondering if this is all like drawing from his life as well. Like it just felt so real in a in a way that he doesn't usually write those kind of scenes I think mm-hmm. the pacing and the action and the dialogue and so it's a little longer than his other novels too so we, yep, we get a little, a little yeah, we get a little more stuff and or for the bang for the buck mm-hmm. it's still uh, only 189 pages so itself I mean compared to the 160s from more more typical area it does feel a little more uh, expanded well, it's it's longer than it's it was originally a paperback, right? And mm-hmm. um, it's longer than his other Ace um, novels, yeah. But not uh, way longer, and for it's shorter than a lot of his other stuff as well. But um, we haven't got there to those yet, though. Uh, well, yeah, Man in High Castle is longer than this. Yeah, but that's that that's like almost like a one-off. But yeah, it, it was a hardcover, right? Written for a hardcover. And this is back to the pulp roots. Um, and uh, yeah, I I really like this book. I I, I wouldn't recommend it to. Uh, well, maybe I would. I don't know. It's it's not. It doesn't have that sort of uh, questioning reality theme as much as it's. It's not a bad science fiction story. No. I think I'd definitely I'd recommend it to people who like Philip K. Dick already. You know, mm-hmm. who are interested right. in just seeing him, just unspool his mind and. In this kind of time of his life. But not a first dick. Maybe a second or a third. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, you like Philip K. Dick. Here's here's a snapshot of him at the end of the 60s phase. Mm -hmm. Go with it. Go with it. Go to the drug bar. Stay stay away from the reefer madness of alcohol. And uh, paint your your flying car purple. I guess this is really reflective of of the time of his life as well, right? Like, is this when he had all those Uh, teenagers hanging out at his house and he was into the drugs and... Yeah, he lost. Obviously, would have lost your wife if you start bringing teenagers home. Mm-hmm. She moves out. He moves out. Something's something. They can't have it stay that way. And yeah, sort of users, not just as in drug users, but users as in people. You know, sort of abusing the privilege of hanging out with this guy who's a bit too compassionate for uh, losers. I don't know. Right, and him just so- enjoying that kind of flattering. Yeah, the, the young people looking up to him and being enchanted by him. <laughs> yeah, comes through in that girl. I mean, uh, one of the things we uh, we I was thinking about in this book and why he is that way to this girl, and why 
she's admirable to him as well. Um, is because uh, if Philip K. Dick were alive now, he would be a huge media personality. I don't know how it would work because he, he I mean, I don't think it could work, but he would be a huge media personality because he likes attention, mm-hmm. right? Um, and his work is so popular that it would have to, um, you know, they'd have him on to, you know, comment on whatever he liked, basically, because he's got a lot of stuff that people would say is prediction or whatever. Um, but at, during his lifetime, um, he barely got any of that. A little bit near the end, I guess, when uh, the movie was about to come out or whatever. But, I mean, I know if we were uh, going to go see him, we would be like, wow, this guy's awesome. And that would come out in our meeting of him. Mm-hmm. But I don't think most people walking down the street in his lifetime had any clue that he would be a figure of reverence in a certain sense. I don't, um, I don't think he could have com- predicted it himself. Well, I don't, I don't think he would have predicted it. Um, but I think it's just funny because um, in reading all his novels, you get a sense of... Uh, of um, what he's really like. And I'm not saying, you know, you want to hang out with him all the time. In fact, I think I probably wouldn't. But um, it would be c- kind of cool to ask him a, a question and give him, get, get him to give one of those really great Philip K. Dickey responses, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And um, he would be incredibly popular. And so having that sort of hidden genius that he knows he has but doesn't have the confidence for because everyone around him doesn't give him any sense of that is um, what he gets out of that relationship with the, with the girl. Right. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. It is that lack of confidence that he had that. And uh, it's not like his wife thinks he's that great either. Right. Um, No. Even, even (laughs) if you're married to a famous person, I don't think you, you get the kind of uh, adulation from your husband or wife uh, because because you're famous, um, and so it's it's kind of petty, um, but everybody needs a little bit of reassurance now and then, and he's not getting any right. The right. only reassurance he gets is, oh, uh, that um, who's the uh, the guy at um, Ace Books who wants him to write another book for him, even though it's not going to make him that much money. Right. Oh yeah, sure. Right, because mm-hmm. because oh yeah, Don Wal- Don Walheim. Yeah, he likes my stuff. Um, he said he wanted a book. I'm definitely going to give him one. Right. People like to be liked, and and he wrote him a letter saying, "Are, are you gonna? Are you? Were you serious about writing a book for me? Oh yeah, sure. Right, absolutely. I really love it. Yeah. And yeah. so he writes this book. I think it's not just liked as well, but just like appreciated for what he's doing. Like exactly, yeah. yeah. I, I, not not just appreciated, like thank you very much. Yeah. But thank you very much, and here's some money to show that actually what you do is a good thing, and yeah. and people like it, and somebody out there is going to enjoy this book. I think I he needed it a lot. Like it comes out in his books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of people can like that's like you can see it in his writing. 
with all in his life with the affairs and stuff. Like I think that's why a lot of people do have affairs because mm-hmm. you're with a partner who's like rolling their eyes at you and they're sick. Oh of my you, god, that's you know? the end of it, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then you have like young people who are who don't know you, who are looking up to you and just being like, "You're amazing." Yeah, you, know, you can. And that's what he that got. comes through in his. Yeah, I think he really needed that. I think he felt unappreciated and by his, you know, his family or his loved ones, and then he'd get all this. Um, yeah, young people like looking up to him and following him around and hanging out with him and wanting to spend time with him. Perfect. I got um, a couple of quotes from that Philip K. Dick fans page here. Um, he's writing to Donald Waheim, trying to keep him happy because he's falling behind the deadline. Great news! Although I'm a little late, I have finished the novel Our Friends from Frolics 8, which, as you will recall, I am under contract for sometime last month it was due. All I need to do now is simply type up the final draft. There will be no further revision. That having already been done. <laughs> I love the way <laughs> he phrases that. The, the novel runs longer than my others. They all came out to about 215 TypeScript pages. This one comes to 268, which I would estimate between 70,000 and 80,000 words. I hope that length is satisfactory to you. The contract called for 70,000 rather than the usual 60,000. So I assumed you wanted a longer novel, hence this length. <laughs> which was most carefully planned on my part. It didn't just happen. It's <laughs> a Philip K. Dick sentence. Not since Eye in the Sky have I so much enjoyed working on a novel. Uh, remember Eye in the Sky? That was a fun book. Yeah. Um, usually I got I get I love this. Usually I get up at noon. While writing this, I got up at 7 a.m. and tottered my way to the typewriter. <laughs> my mind filled with dialogue. There is nothing about reality versus illusion in it. No hallucinations, etc. I did depart from the latter part of the outline, but the book remains as the outline described it. I think it is fair to say. That it is true to the outline. <laughs> Got to wow. make sure he knows that I didn't go off script. Yeah. Um, please write me and let me know if the length is okay. But I don't really want to trim it. it I would appreciate it very, very much if you would let me leave it as its pre- present length. Okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then uh, letter from April 1969. N- not, not the end of the month as uh, later. Uh, this letter from April 1969 was not the end of it. As a month later, PKD still wasn't done. It was this letter to Walheim in which he is heartily sorry. <laughs> I have been stewing and fretting about completing the final copy of Our Friends. First, when I began typing the final version, I discovered that I had had to change some of the material. Then I came down with the Hong Kong flu <laughs> with complications. And as a coup de grace, my Olympia typewriter broke down, and I had to go to the shop for repairs. Typing 80,000 words on this damn loner thing is next to impossible. It's a 1941 Royal. I have to have my own machine, and when I get it back, I'll resume typing of the final draft, wow. which I've gotten well into before the troubles began. I'm very sorry, and I know this novel is overdue, but the revisions have to be made. <laughs> oh, the revisions have been made. Whether that is the final excuse or his dog later ate the manuscript, I don't know. But I think Dick was glad to get Frolix 8 finished. It would be the only novel completed in 1969. Oh, okay. I guess 69, not 70. Yeah. Uh, 68. Hmm. In any case, it was published in June 1970. Hey, you went through a lot of uh, troubles to get this thing done. 
<laughs> but yeah, but wrapping around his own personal troubles, which he doesn't mention in, in those letters at all. He doesn't <laughs> doesn't need to. It's all in the book. It's all in the book. Yeah, it's all, <laughs> it's not subtext. It's text. It's they're kind of a they're kind of know, you put them all together. They're on a, a very long autobiography. <laughs> I think or memoir maybe. Memoir, memoir by by way of. Uh, yeah, what 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 would be a what would uh, I don't think there is a technical term for a science fictional version of a memoir. Oh, it's uh, our friends from Fallox Eight is a chapter in it. I know that. Yeah, yeah, well, definitely, but I don't think there's a technical term for when you take a memoir and you add science fictional elements to it. <laughs> but Dick did here. Yep, he he invented yeah. that. I don't know anybody else who writes books like that. I mean, I know people who will take elements, um, you know, or they use their experience or their knowledge, but uh, uh, not not the political stuff, but the, and I didn't even mind the political stuff in here. I thought it was okay. Um, But I just love the personal stuff and the the crazy cars and uh, the, the crazy boss and all the little details. A good book. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. 